Father, thank you for this opportunity to come before your throne. We may find worship and, and ministry for us, grace to help us in our time of need. And whether we know it or not, Lord, we need you. Thank you, Father, for giving us the understanding to know how much we need you. And we bless you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. So we're going to talk today, uh, continue talking about uh, continuing with the master and how the enemy's plan really is to separate us from the love of God. You know, if he can get us to think that God doesn't care about us, doesn't love us, isn't for us, he likes lying on us uh, about God and lying on God about us. So he keeps that lie going backwards and forwards. And he knows that we will easily believe something negative about God because look at circumstances. You know, the first thing people, these are people don't even ever pray, don't know God, don't go to church. But the minute something bad happens, why why did God do this to me? Well, you don't know him well enough to know what he would do. You understand what I'm saying? And so this is what Christianity is all about. It's teaching us who God is, teaching us his ways, and teaching us how much God loves us. That's got to be number one on your list. Because if you don't understand that everything in your life that comes from God comes from a heart of love, then you'll miss the whole understanding of what's going on. And you'll fall victim to the enemy's plan to separate us from God's love, separate us from our victory, separate us from peace, separate us from our prosperity, separate us from friendship, companionship, all of the things that are necessary that we all crave. Everybody wants to be loved. Amen. I don't care what some people, you know, I don't need nobody. Yes, you do. (laughs) And the devil will prove it to you. The minute you walk around the corner, you know, and you feel an ache or a pain, you want to go to the emergency room. You know, you need the doctor at least, you know, to keep feeling good. And so we we want to feel like we're independent, but really we are so dependent on God. If he didn't wake you up and give you breath, you'd be a dead person. Amen. If he didn't show you mercy and send you food and send you clothing and send you all of those things, you wouldn't have much in life. And so we're all dependent on God, whether we know it or not. He does it, but he may do it through other sources. But he's the source. He's the source behind everything that we receive in life. And so the enemy always is is perpetrating, trying to get us separated from God. He'll get us over here thinking we're alone. Get us over here thinking we have nobody, no future, no hope, all of that stuff. That's his M.O. He likes doing that. And uh, and we talked yesterday about a sign of the end times being that there would be a falling away. People would start to fall away from the church, fall away from God, fall away from the goodness of God, from seeking God, from serving God. And we're seeing that in record numbers. Amen. You know, every church that has seats in it used to be almost full at one time. Then we saw COVID, where they decided that churches were not essential, but Walmart was, you know. And I said, well, that 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 virus is real smart. He can tell the difference between a Walmart and a church. Can I get an amen, somebody? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Now, listen, if y'all don't amen me, I will go across the street. You got me? Amen. But, but this is, this is what our government has started to do. 
there's evil forces working through the government, in case you didn't know. I'm sure you all know, but, you know, in case you didn't, you need to know that. People are evil everywhere. The fact that they, they work in government don't stop evil. And so if, if we're to survive, we've got to hook up with God and get a consistent friendship and fellowship with God. We've got to be servants of God. We gotta, we gotta connect with God on His terms. It can't be all our terms all the time. And so there are some things that, that we will go through in life that the enemy will use to try and separate us from God, but God uses them to help us to get deep, more deeply connected to Him. I can tell you one thing, I don't like trouble any more than you do, but I can say at the end of it, because I learned how to trust God more, it was more beneficial for me at the end. While you're going through it, you're not going to like it. But at the end result, if you can say, you know what, God, I held on to you. And in fact, I learned to, some people learn to love God through adversity. You know, they never would have found him had they not gone through certain things. I know when I was, wasn't saved, I wasn't thinking about God. I thought I had to world, world by the tail because I had a little piece of paper called a degree and I had a husband. You understand what I'm saying? And you know, when the husband started acting funny, then I was just totally lost. See, your little stuff can fall apart, you know, at a moment's notice. And I, and I was much younger then and a thin slip of a girl. Do you understand what I'm saying? Had it going on, so I thought. But see, disaster, tragedy, dilemma can hit anybody at any time, and it will come out of nowhere. Amen? And so I'm I'm grateful that I had the presence of mind to reach out to God at that time. And after God opened the door for me to be healed, he healed my marriage, he healed my mind, he healed everything about me, then he let me know that I was called to be a preacher to serve him. I know nothing about being a preacher. There were no preachers in my family. Now, my daddy was called, but he never answered the call. And, I, you know, he would quote scripture when he got drunk. And, you know, we go, oh, daddy, here we go again. Oh, yeah, love you. You know, golden rule, love the neighbors, you love yourself. You know, that, that was what word, the you know, the Bible was to us. It was just something my daddy said when he got drunk. Amen. So I didn't know anything about God and, and being called. I knew God in a sense. We went to Catholic school and all my Catholic girls say amen. See, that's right. <laughs> you know, you learn little bitty bits, bits and snatches about God. But there comes a day when God wants you to know him for real, where he will reveal himself to you. And often he reveals himself to us at our point of need. So don't let need, don't let trouble separate you from God. You need to let him draw you closer to him. And that's what the Apostle Paul was talking about. He said, can tribulation separate us? What can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? And so if you love God through Jesus Christ, if he's your Savior and he's your Lord, And you can say, I know the Lord Jesus Christ. He is my Savior and my Lord. Then nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God. I don't care what happens to you. At the end of the day, you got to say, you know what, God? Everything went wrong for me today, but I know this much. You love me because you still live in my heart. You didn't quit on me. I've been doing all kind of wrong stuff all day long, and you didn't walk away and just leave me. You're still here. Amen? And so we need to come away with that assurance. 
That's what God wants us to have, is that assurance that he is always with us. So in Romans 8.35, the Apostle Paul listed some things that the enemy will use to try and separate us from God's love. Try and get us to turn our backs on God. We talked a little bit about Job and what he went through. You know, one day he lost everything. Lost his kids, lost everything but his wife, and she was nagging at him. Amen? Same old, same old. Amen. (laughs) That's our job. We don't have another job. That's our job. But anyway, she, you know, it wasn't a pleasant thing for him there. So all he had was God. Sometimes that's the best place to be, where all you have is God. When the doctors tell you they can't do anything for you, you still got God. You can't let sickness separate you from God's love. Amen. So he lists several things here in Romans 8.35. He says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, that is trouble. We're all going to have it. We're all going to have our share. You're not going to have more than what's coming to you. So don't get that, you know, poor me. I don't, you know, it's, it's, I don't know why I have so much trouble. Well, you don't have any more than anybody else does. It just looks that way because it's happening to you. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword. He said, as it is written for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. So in other words, if you belong to Christ, this world isn't your home. You're just passing through here. You understand? Don't get so upset about it. Amen. You will survive very well without this world's goods because God's always going to take care of us. You know, it may not be in the grand style you, you want to become accustomed to, but God will take care of you. Amen. And if you want grand style, then start praying for it. You can get that too. You understand what I'm saying? There are some Christians who are very, very wealthy. And God doesn't mind them having wealth. He just don't want wealth to have you. So he makes some safeguards. He doesn't want your wealth to separate you from him. Amen? And so he says here, all of these things will not separate us from God's love. Amen? Tribulation. All of these things. And Paul says, in all these situations, we are more than conquerors. Amen? How can you be more than a conqueror? Well, you come through it and you don't look like what you've been through. Amen? The devils beat you up coming and going and you don't look like it. Amen? You 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 still have the joy of God. You have the life of God. God has extended your life. Amen? He's given you more than you ever asked him for. In all your sufferings and all your difficulties. He comes through. I mean, just ask God to show you where your stuff is. That's what I tell people. If you don't think you're better off having come through that and come through it with God, just let let him show you one day what he's done for you. It'll mess your head up. Because most of us don't have a mind to appreciate the good things that God does for us. He has to show us these things. Amen? Even though you live with God and you're obedient to God, it doesn't mean that you are aware of everything that he's doing for you. So you need to walk in that place where you say, God, just show me. Show me where I'm better off. Show me what you've done for me. Show me how that wasn't wasted time. Show me how you've got that back for me, how you're going to, everything's lined up for me the right way now. Just show me. I double dog dare you. And God will blow your 
mind. He'll show you the unseen, what was going on behind the scenes, amen, for you on your behalf. He'll show you all of those things. And we need to know them sometimes or we will get bitter. And we will be angry and we'll, we will be upset. We'll, we'll think we're, we've been cheated out of everything. And so we have to have this relationship with God. All God wants us to do is just come a little bit closer to him. Just pray another prayer. Ask another revelation. Ask him to come and tell you what what you need to know to live a good life with him and for him. So many times the enemy's timing is what we need to be aware of and what he's doing in our lives to separate us from the love of God. Amen. His timing oftentimes coincides with a breakthrough that's unfolding for us. It'll coincide with a an answer to prayer. That's coming. It'll coincide with something, another door that God may have been opening for us so that we can have the things that we desire. So in Mark chapter five, if you'll go there and I'll show you an example of how the enemy likes to separate us and his timing in separating us from the love of God. Mark chapter five. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. This is a story about Jairus and his uh, situation where he had come to Jesus looking for a healing for his daughter. Amen. And it says here, Mark chapter 5, where are we? In verse uh, 21, it says, And Jesus passed over to the other, again to the other side, and much people gathered to him, and he was near to the sea, and behold, there came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. I'm asking you, I pray you, come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed and she shall live. And Jesus went with him. This is what you want. You want Jesus with you. Now, he doesn't go with anybody who's not believing. So there Jairus is, is asking in faith. And really that's all that's required of us is that we believe God. Amen. So he's asking in faith and Jesus attempts to go with him. He's, he starts out with him. He said Jesus went with him and many people followed him and pressed against him or thronged him. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years. And had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not better, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his clothes, for she said to herself, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll get my healing. And right away when she touched him, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And immediately Jesus, knowing in himself that power or virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the people pressing against you and you said, who touched me? And he looked round about to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. You know, 
there are some situations where you can't do nothing but tell the truth. Did you know that? God will work on people. So, you know, you go to, say, for instance, you got to go to court or something like that. And all these people are lying on you. You know, you can have angels. You can, I've done it before. I prayed and asked God to have angels stationed in the courtroom. Whisper to the jurors. Whisper to the judge. Whisper to everybody. You can have it so that nobody can do nothing but tell the truth in God's presence. Because this woman wanted to pretend like it, the reason she touched him without him knowing her was what she wasn't supposed to be touching him. This woman was considered unclean because she was bleeding. And that was a Jewish law. If you had any kind of uh, bleeding, any kind of discharge from your body, if you had leprosy, anyway, uh, in other words, if you had an infectious disease, you had to stay in. You know, God knows everything about stopping infection. You know that, don't you? So it, it's been in the Bible all this time, and we just now catching up to it in many situations. But God knew how to stop disease among his people. He just kept them from being around each other. So she was not supposed to be out, let alone touching anybody, let alone touching the priest. Because touching a priest was off limits to everybody unless you had his permission. But somehow... God told her to break the law and go touch him, and he healed her when she did it. Listen, God didn't make the laws for us. He made us. He didn't make us for the laws. He made the laws for us. When God's laws don't serve you anymore, then you can use his grace. Because faith is higher than the law anyway. Anything you do by faith is legal as far as God is concerned. And this lady touched Jesus in faith. Jairus was in faith too, but her faith was get it now and his was wait till I get to my house. You got me? So you can cause your faith to to activate anytime you want it to. It's activated by when you say it's activated. Amen? Uh, In case anybody don't know how I want my faith to work, I want all mine now. You got me? I don't want to be waiting forever. I ain't got that many more years on this earth anyway, but I don't want to be waiting forever for nothing. Never did. So get your faith into now mode. Get your faith off the back burner and off the merry-go-round. Get it over in now mode. Amen. And that's, that was her, that was her, uh, strength. What she wanted, she said, as soon as I touch him, I'm going to get my healing. And she got it. Amen. She got it. Why did Jesus want to talk to her? He wants to make sure you keep it. It's not just about getting something. It's about keeping stuff. Amen. And Jesus knew exactly the people that were going to talk to her and try to talk her out of her healing. So he talks to her and tells her she did good by getting it. He said, you didn't break any law as far as I'm concerned. Amen. And that allowed her to walk away in peace. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and stay healed. That's when when he says, be whole of your plague. He says, when you leave here, now you stay healed. I've approved of what you did and don't let anybody talk you out of it. You know, when God approves of something you do, nobody can talk you out of it anyway. You know, I used to, when I when I was um, when I was first saved, I was housebound. I couldn't go out of the house. I had panic attacks and phobias and all kind of crazy stuff, and I just didn't go out very much. And you know, when you if you 
if you're a nervous person and you go to the wrong church, y'all know what I'm talking about. You'll never go back again. And so I was very careful about where I went and, and what I did and if I needed to, to get out so that somebody could minister, somebody trustworthy could minister to me. And, and so I lived that way, you know, for a long time. And, and it took a while for me to get comfortable just getting out and, and doing things again, you know, but, but God helped me even in my seclusion. He taught me certain things about the word so that by the time I got to church and I was comfortable in church and then the religious people swooped down on you. Cause then the first people was, hi sister, how you doing? Can you share your testimony? No, I can't. I don't know you. I don't know if, you know, but I didn't know what they was talking about. But I soon learned that there was a lot of wrong doctrine that was being taught. Amen. You know, people would tell you you're under a curse if you don't give them 10%. I knew that wasn't true because God had blessed me beyond measure already. I was too blessed to be cursed. Gender, I was blessed already. See, when God blesses you before you get around the religious people, then you know something. And the devil can't take that away from you. Because he tried many times to pry me away from my prosperity, and he never could, and he still can't. Now, I give more than a tenth. I'm very happy to give to God. But I'm not giving just so he won't curse me. I'm giving because I love him. And because there's things he wants me to do. And I can't do them just, you know, nickel and dime in him. I got to be a free giver in order to get where God wants me to go. And that's what God wants for all of us. But God will assure you in certain ways of certain truths that cannot be taken away from you. Amen. So they can't steal the truth from you once God makes it real to you. So Jesus here is telling her Your faith did that for you. Nobody can take your faith away from you. Your faith is your personal contract between you and God. And once your faith is working, let it work. Don't let it stop working. Don't let people clog up your, 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 um, your arteries with a lot of religious cholesterol. Ah, how was that? Amen. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. So, so this is the thing. You, you've got to stay free of this religion. You saw Jesus do that to people a lot. That young man that was born blind, the first thing they want to know whose fault was it. Jesus said, well, nobody's fault. Huh? It's for the glory of God. Once you pray and expect God to answer, it's for his glory. What do you care about whose fault it is? You get ready to get rid of it. <laughs> At that point, fault means nothing. Fault can't can't uh, heal you. It can't prosper you. All it can do is make you go around looking stupid, blaming people forever. And Jesus is standing there wanting to heal you. So he and Jairus are walking and this lady interrupts the whole show. Poor Jairus, he's late to the party anyway. He let this girl get close to death. He already, uh, you know, confesses she's close to dying. In other words, hurry up, Jesus, hurry up, Jesus, hurry up, Jesus. And this 
woman comes by and stops him. Huh? And I'm sure his heart sank. But listen to me. I don't care how many delays, how your heart sinks. Jesus is still with you. If you ever believed him one time and he told you it was yours, it's still yours. Care how many delays happen, it's still yours. Why? Because faith isn't limited by time. Faith is outside of time. Faith is in God's realm. It's in the realm of glory. It can't be tampered with. It can't be stolen. It can't be damaged. It's good all the time. And so when he says this, and he says, uh, a daughter, verse 34, go in peace. Be whole of your plague. In other words, you're healed and don't let anybody steal it from you. While he was yet speaking, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house a certain person which said, your daughter's dead. Now, how's that for a friend? He didn't try to soften the blow. Didn't take him aside. He could have waited until the man got home. That's the way I look at it. I mean, a real friend. I mean, what difference does it make? Except he's up to something. See, when you read this Bible, you got to get your suspicion hat on, your detective hat on. You got to get all them hats on. You might miss something. Why is it so important for him to race to where he is now and tell him this bad news? He's going to find out anyway. I used to hear, uh, you know, what I used to call older people. But, you know, people used to say, oh, uh-uh, they okay, honey, because bad news travel fast. You ever heard somebody say something? It's true. Why? Because it's on the devil's pipeline. He'll send somebody out in brand new Nikes to tell you, run as fast as they can to tell you bad news. Amen? So don't think he's on the slow line. He's on the fast line. And so this man comes to him. He can't wait to tell him bad news. Why is that? Well, the answer is in what he says. Oh, he says here, uh, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the master? In other words, send Jesus away. Send your answer away. Send your power away. Send the anointing away. This is what the enemy is trying to do. At the point where we could, could get over that unbelief and over that doubt and fear and step over into faith that's going to deliver us, into what we desire, he will send a situation, a person, or something with some level of credibility to try and separate us from God. Just at the point where you, you know, and see, it, and, and this is what he wants to have happen. He wants Jairus to go back and tell everybody, well, she's dead already. Jesus can't help me. But instead of that happening, what happens? It said Jesus immediately turned to him and said, don't you be scared. He said, don't you dare pick up fear. See, if, if the enemy can send us a fear messenger right in the midst of our receiving what we need from God, that's why the Bible tells us to hold your peace. Let the Lord fight your back. Just hold on. If you can hold on for another few minutes, if you, it's not going to hurt him to wait until Jesus goes home with him. Why send him away? He's been helping you this whole time. Why would you send your help away? 
But see, this is where the devil is, the way the devil is. He sends somebody that he knows you will trust to tell you some stupid news. This is always the test for blue. You're going to have tests like this. You're going to have people that you, you dearly love give you bad advice. And God's word says one thing and they tell you something else. Well, the devil can use anybody. He uses everybody. He used me. He used you. You understand what, if he can. And so you've got to understand what it means to hold on to your faith. Hold on to your believing. Even past the point of where it's comfortable for you. See, we want everything to come to us in, in ease and peace and no stress and no worry. If the devil can worry you, he'll worry you. So this guy comes from his house. What's he been doing at the house? He ain't been praying for her to get healed. And he ain't been praying for Jesus to get there in time. He's been watching to see when this girl dies so he can go be the bearer of bad news. You watch who you invite to your sick bed. Don't have all them pre-morning mourners coming in there. And people that bought a ticket and they claim they don't have no money for nothing. Why is it all of a sudden when somebody's sick they can get a $400 plane ticket to come and stand over your bed and try to watch you die? Huh? Consoling you. You know, they're with the family. I'm just here to support the family. To do what? If you ain't bringing no healing, don't come up in here. This is a healing bed. This is not a death vigil. All those people sitting around it, those are the pre-mourners. You got me? Huh? It's true. If they don't come in there and anoint you with oil and pray and then leave and let God heal you, they ain't there for the right reasons. Now, I understand people love you and all that kind of stuff, but there's a love of God that will come and deliver a soul at the point of death. you got to believe for that, God. Why? And if you're just going to sit and watch them die, stay home. Send them a card. Send them some flowers, whatever. But don't be a death watcher. You know, pray and ask God, God, can you give me a prayer? Can you give me enough faith to pray for this person? This person wants to live. I don't care. And if they're going to die, you don't have to go and watch it. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you're not going there to help that person stay on the side of life, then don't go. Amen. With your unbelief and your doubt, watching all that stuff. If you're not there to help them live, stay home. See, that sounds mean, don't it? I don't care. Don't come to my bed. If y'all ain't, you know, unless I'd have told y'all, stay away because I'm going home. Up to my real home. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? But don't come there holding my hand. I don't, I don't need nobody to hold my hand except Jesus ever. Gee, all that hand holding. You ain't held my hand as long as I, and if you holding it, will you put a 50 in there? No, take that back a hundred. I gave up fifties along. I'm in three digits. I don't give nothing less than that and I don't expect nothing less than that. Where am I? He says, while he yet spoke, Jesus couldn't get the words out. He didn't even have time hardly to minister to this girl. See, this is the devil. When he sees your, your answer is imminent. He immediately sends somebody to interrupt what you're doing. 
to interrupt your blessing. Y'all going you gonna get used to binding the devil before you go out to do anything. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care if they told you over the phone that the loan was approved. You bind the devil anyway. Do you understand me? Because just cause, just like they got the approval, they can get a call and give you a denial too. Amen. So it says here, it, it, he says, oh, oh, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the master any further? Trying to act like he all concerned about Jesus. Honey, Jesus ain't got nothing but time when it comes to your situation. He's got all the time he needs when it comes to taking care of you. He's in no rush. He's in no hurry. And he's never out of time because he don't operate on time. He brings time with him. If he needs to extend time, he's got the power to do that. If he needs to shorten time, he can do that too. He's not bothered by all this stuff. And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. In other words, he can feel when we're nervous. He can feel when we're about to lose our confidence in him. He can feel when we're about to give up. And he doesn't just stand there watching us faint. He tells us to keep believing. Have you ever had one of them days where you were sure it, nothing good was going to happen? It's like everything from from you scared of your phone. You understand what I'm saying? It's buzzing again and you know it's nothing but bad news. And you keep expecting bad news. Amen. And then all of a sudden something of peace comes over you and you say, you know what, God, I don't even know why I'm sitting up here nervous. I know you came through for me last time. You're going to do it again. Amen. That's Jesus talking to you just like he did this man right here telling you, be not afraid, only believe. In other words, grab back onto your believing. Don't let your faith go. That's what the enemy wants. He wants your faith. He wants you to quit on believing. He don't want you to believe. He wants you to believe God is making you go through all this for nothing. Amen. It's never for nothing, folks. It's always going to pay off for you. You just haven't seen it yet. Have faith. You'll see it. Amen. I don't care what it is. He'll redeem everything. He says, be not afraid, only believe. And he didn't allow anybody to follow him except Peter, James, John, and the brother of James. Peter, James, John, and the brother of James. That sounds like believers, disciples, students, all of that. Amen. He wants people that he selects. He selects your company, folks. If you land up in the hospital and you're very sick, just tell God, God, don't send anybody in here unless, I don't want anybody in here unless you send them. Amen. This is not time for the family gathering. You got me? Just, just don't send, you know, send whoever you need to send in here to see me. You don't open up your life to everybody. You allow only who God wants around. So Jesus knew who he could, who would, would obey him, who had faith. And if they didn't have faith, they had sense enough to shut up. Sometimes you just need them kind of people. Don't need anybody butting in. And as he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, 
he saw all the people that wept and wailed greatly. In other words, they've been sitting there waiting for an occasion to mourn. They've been tuning up, as we say sometimes. Amen. Oh, Lord, she ain't got long now. How do you know? Amen. She won't if you keep talking. And he says he saw all those people that wept and wailed greatly. They've been weeping a little bit while she was still breathing, but now it's on. Amen. And he says, and when he came in, he said to them, why are you making this ado and weeping? She's not dead, but sleeping. And check this out. They go from wailing and weeping to laughing. Okay. Okay. We got an insincere bunch of people here. Because they can go either way. You understand what I'm saying? They all mourning and upset. And then they laughing at him, making fun of him. Amen. All in one breath. You know, they say in 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 uh, Hebrew history and religion, they would hire people to mourn. You know, professional mourners. And they would send them out to the house, you know, a lot of times before that person even passed away. Because they, they believed in that. They were religious. They, they believed in the mourning period. But sometimes a family was kind of, I guess, not really willing to cry. I don't know what it was, but they would send people who were paid to mourn. And they would start bringing food before you even passed away. You know, we see that sometimes now. You know, we say we're bringing it for the family, but mostly the family's not interested in food. You know, I mean, all that kind of stuff. They're, they're really kind of keeping a vigil to see if they'll get a miracle or, or to see if there'll be a turnaround with people. You just don't know. And so here they're all piling in already. The minute they find out somebody's close to death, they're there to help them get on over to the other side. Not that you need help for that. You don't need for people to pray for you to die. Just hold your prayers. Okay. You need to, if you're going to make a mistake praying for somebody, make your mistake toward life, toward health, and toward healing. You don't need anybody to pray. Just pray that they let go. You don't need to do that. God's already taken care of that. He knows you're in from your beginning. And I can tell you right now, if somebody will come in there and ask God to heal, he'll begin to heal that person. But they laughed him to scorn. And when he had put them all out, he took the father and mother and them that were with him and entered in where she was And he took her by the hand and said, Arise. Amen. And right away she got up and walked. She didn't convalesce. When Jesus says, Get up, he means get up healthy. He doesn't mean get up halfway healthy and halfway sick. There's no waiting on what he does. As soon as you can get the faith to get to obeying him, you're 100% whole. Amen. Now, some people convalesce because that's what's in their, that's what their faith is telling them they're supposed to do, which is fine as long as you get your healing. You understand what I'm saying? But God can get it so that you get up immediately. And right away, they, he told them to give her some food. So she was able to eat and she was able to walk having been asleep. 
when you when you die in Christ, you're not dead. We don't when you're born again, you don't die twice. Amen. You're alive in Christ. You just leave this earth realm and you leave all the things of earth behind. But but you you're asleep in Christ. Even the saints of old weren't dead. They were asleep in Christ and were were able to be raised up at his word. Lazarus the same way. He was dead in Christ because he believed in Jesus and he was taken out of sleep and brought back over into life. This girl immediately when her father asked Jesus to heal her, he put her to sleep. She was sleeping him. That's why he said, why are you making this noise? She's not dead. She's sleeping. I'm here to wake her up. Amen. And they didn't know anything about that. Unbelievers don't know anything about the, the power of God, but they're about to learn. Amen. So they learned what was going on. And what was it that, that, that the enemy was trying to do? Well, it showed you already. He wanted to separate Jairus from the love of God. He wanted to separate him from Jesus. And therefore separate him from the love of God. And it would be just fine for him to go back home and say, well, Jesus turned around and left me. He wasn't interested. He couldn't do it. In other words, Jesus didn't have enough confidence and enough power to come home and help me and get my daughter back well again. And that's what the enemy does. He lies to us about the power of God. He tells us God isn't able. Or he tells us God isn't willing. He doesn't care which lie you believe as long as you believe a lie. Amen. And he will tell us, you know, God's not going to do that for you. God's not able to do that for you. God doesn't want to do that for you. And then if, if you will hold on, I don't care how raggedy your faith is. Amen. Some of us, we look back and wonder, I don't even know how that happened. But I was not believing. I was crying. I was moaning. I was telling God, just shoot me and get me out of my misery. You know, all of the above. And so when, when it's like that, then, then God will come in anyway. He says, when you are faithless, I remain faithful. I can't deny myself. He doesn't want to deny himself the satisfaction of proving to the devil that he loves you. That's what he doesn't want to deny himself of. It's not like he can't deny that he said it. That's part of it too. But he, he, he's getting glory out of this. Every time a saint of his holds on to the end until they get what they need from the Lord, God get, gets glory out of that. He gets to sit up there and say, devil, I told you, I told you this one was a real believer. I told you this one wasn't going to quit when the chips were down. I told you. Amen. And even if we semi-quit, if we've got an inkling of faith, God will blow some some breath on it and revive it again. Amen. If you've had a a day that that you wish never happened, by the end of the day, God will blow some 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 breath on them coals, them little dampened coals of faith of yours, (laughs) that buried faith that's way up under your disappointment, your discouragement, your fear, and your all that stuff. He'll blow some, blow some life on it, and he'll let you know, hey, sis, get up tomorrow. It's a new day tomorrow. This one was kind of a bust, I will agree. The devil had a lot of bad news for you today. 
But tomorrow morning is going to be different. My mercies are new every morning. Amen. You wake up to a new mercy in the morning. So God doesn't want us to ever be separated from his love. You'll see that with with people in the Bible who went through difficult times. It was done to to see if they would quit on God. And trust me, many people quit on God. This isn't something that's that's unreasonable or or doesn't ever happen or it's a rare occurrence. There are many people that just well, you know, I tried that now and they'll they'll be angry about it. I tried that faith stuff. I tried that. It didn't work for me. Or so and so, you know, her 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 husband was sick and he died. God didn't heal him. You understand? And so people will use human failure and human weakness and blame it on God. If something didn't happen for somebody, there's always a reason. And and it's never that God's to blame because God's done all this stuff already. He's when when Jesus went to Calvary, that was the signed signed death warrant for the devil. Amen. He put to death all the devil's works. We just have to care enough about God to understand him and read his word and ask God to show us. Step out in faith on some of these things. Let God come in and help us. Let him show us his great might and his great power. Don't ever take no for an answer. Because the answer is always yes. Because of Calvary, it's always yes. God will do, he doesn't care if it takes a miracle. He in the miracle business, girl. It might be a big thing to you, but it's never a big thing to God. He's in the miracle working business. And you're going to need miracles to get through life. You know, we think we're going to get through life just on what we know about it. But honey, you're going to find out some things that you didn't want to have to know. But once you find them out, you're glad you know them. Amen. Some of those those uh, scriptures that we look at, and you, or you close the book of Job because, oh, Lord, I don't want to read that. Oh, Lord, nah, uh-uh, I don't want that. But then the day might come where you need it, and you're glad it's there because you see God came through, and he rescued people. Amen. So many things that come to our lives every day are designed to separate us from the love of God. Amen. With David, it was persecution. And David was a man after God's own heart, it says in the Bible. David was anointed to be king over Israel, but there was a problem. There was a man who already held that position, and he wasn't doing well. And he didn't want to give it up. And so he fought for many years against uh, God's will for David to take his place. And that's King Saul. Why don't you turn to 1 Samuel? I think we can start in chapter 18. God has already anointed David. I mean, he's, he's lived so close to God. He's got several anointings working in his life already. He has been anointed king. It happened secretly. Uh, while he and he was just out tending his sheep one day and got called in and God anointed him to be the next king over Israel. And so after that anointing, he goes into uh, uh, where there's a battle going on between Israel and the Philistines. And he's there to deliver food 
to his brethren. His father sends him there. So he's not there snooping around, uh, being mischievous or trying to see what he can get involved in. He's on an errand, uh, and being obedient to his dad. And so he takes food to his brethren. And in the midst of that, he finds out something that stirs the anointing in him. Amen. Um, whenever God anoints you to do things, that anointing has to be called into operation. Amen. It's what we call an unction. It has to be stirred up by circumstances, by uh, words, by news that somebody tells you that anointing has to be stirred up. There are many times God stirs us to pray, whether we understand it or not, whether we know it or not. But if you are, are someone who's uh, given a prayer, sometimes you don't, you're not really given a prayer. You just trust God or you love God or you believe God. Amen. Many times when you hear certain things that, that are, are illegal, immoral, or just wrong, your heart will be stirred to do something about it. Your heart will be stirred to prayer. And so this is a very common thing that happens with those of us who belong to God. You'll read on, 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 uh, you know, or see on the news or see anywhere and, you know, online you'll, you'll read certain reports about child trafficking and all the children that are missing that came across the border. 85,000? Children, they don't just disappear in thin air, folks. Somebody took those kids. And your government played a hand in it by opening up that border. Stupid. You got me? A lot of problems are coming in here because of of wrong decisions, evil decisions being made by people who don't care. You got me? Don't care about those children. And so your heart can be stirred to pray for them. Why? Because God wants to do something about it. And if you're anointed and God wants to use you, then let him use you. That's what you're here for. You may only be used by, excuse me, one or two things ever in your life for God. Amen. David was was used many times. Why? Because he was anointed to be the king. The king needed to know if there was a challenge against the people of Israel. So that anointing was working in David already when he met Goliath. You got me? So it's going to be stirred because that's part of his job. Even though he's not in that office fully yet, that anointing is working. Amen. God needs to see what you're going to do with the power you have before he gives you something else. Amen. And so that anointing starts working in David. And he walks through the uh, the camp of, of the armies of God and, and hears this Philistine raising his voice and threatening everybody and telling them to, you know, just send somebody out to fight me. You know, I'll, I'll take all the marbles. We, we going for broke. You know, I'm just, I'm a representative. You send me a representative. And they can't find anybody. Why? Because everybody's scared. Amen. David is the only one who stirred up to anger and wants to fight this guy. And what's his experience? He's been a shepherd. But a shepherd's responsible for the safety of the sheep. And the anointing as a warrior has come upon him as a shepherd. Why? Because if you're called to protect, then you're called to fight. 
and not just to fight, but to win. If God anoints you to fight, you're anointed to win. There's no two ways about it. He's not a loser. His anointing works to annihilate evil. It's not going to sit there patty cake evil and wait forever while you, you know, evil run rampant everywhere. It's not waiting for anything. And so God, God then sends David out and get David gets stirred up when he hears him talking about, you know, here's Goliath. He said, who is this guy? He really thinks he can, he can threaten God's people. He can defy the armies of the living God. And thank God David wasn't enlisted with the rest of them. Cause the enlisted people were full of fear. And they were satisfied being afraid. You know, sometimes fearful people just are comfortable talking about how bad it is and how, you know, oh, well, somebody go out and fight him. Well, you know, nobody wants to fight him today. I guess we don't fight. And they're comfortable. Sometimes you, it would, because of the anointing, you'll be the only one who's really disturbed and really moved. You got me? And if you're the only one, you're the only one. But go with, with what God's showing you. Go with that unction. Go with that disturbance. Amen. And let God use that disturbance because underneath that disturbance is his power. It's power to change things. His power to do all kinds of miraculous things. Amen. And we've seen it. It's not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about maybes and hypotheticals. God's shown us what he could do through our prayers. You've got to believe that even if you haven't seen anything. That God doesn't, he's with you and he's not praying through you for nothing. To no avail. Those, those things will come to pass. Amen. I remember the day all we had was milk cartons. So remember, we would cut those little kids' faces off of the milk cartons. And Pastor Shirley would find, she said, I just believe God wants us to really start praying for these kids. Now, we were praying already, but we hadn't set it apart where we could focus on it as much. And and every time somebody bought a carton of milk, you know how slick, you see how slick the devil is, don't you? We don't have milk cartons no more. Now, they were easier to recycle than this plastic. Since we got plastic, we don't see those faces anymore. But the day came where we saw those girls who were being held hostage in that house over on the west side. The day came when that girl got enough courage to knock on the window she saw somebody outside her door after 10 what is 12 13 years they were they were they were uh, held hostage in that house by one man with a bunch of devils don't tell me the devil can't put that kind of fear in people because he can but see we're people who are not full of the fear of the enemy because when you're full of god's spirit you are fearless against the enemy makes no difference to you what he does but you can't get over in that realm in the flesh being upset and worried and talking about how bad things are don't waste your time like that find out how in god to get the ups on it and what you do to stop it and you go through and you be determined to stop the devil from moving forward amen that's your only job if you don't feel like you can stop him just stay home amen but keep praying 
You know, one day God will give you the courage to have that kind of faith to get up and do something. But if that, if that's not, if that's not your job, then you pray and support whoever who's doing it. Amen. But you do your part. And so David went through and he found out that the whole army of Israel was afraid of this uncircumcised Philistine. That word means something. Uncircumcised really means God ain't with him. If they're evil people, honey, God ain't with them people. That's all you need to know. Because if he's with you and not with them, guess who's going to win? Amen. You know, you can call the fight already because it's over as far as he's concerned. All you got to do is get in there and obey God. And just keep obeying him. Amen. So you call the fight because it's over for him. Amen. He's done. And so David goes in and he kills Goliath. Amen. You know, people try to get hung up on, you know, people get hung up on all kinds of stuff. How come he had five rocks? Because he didn't have six. What's wrong with five? Have you ever just put one gun in your, the, you, your gun don't even hold one bullet. It holds what they call a magazine or a clip. You put the whole clip in there. Amen. Cause you don't know it might backfire, but you gotta get more than one shot if you're really trying to stop somebody. And David wasn't interested in fighting Goliath. He was interested in killing him. There's a difference, folks. You gotta be loaded for the kill. You don't just, just make the devil stop in one area. You make him stop everywhere you see him. Amen. As long as God gives you an unction, you can pray and you can stop him. Amen. You got the goods to stop him. He don't have no goods on you unless you give them to him through fear. Or through, you know, whining or something or being scared, you know, that's, that's his biggest ground with, with people is on that fear ground. You stay full of the word. You know, don't let your mind get, get carried away with what could happen and go wrong. Let your mind stay on what God's doing. Amen. He's not failing you on anything. And so David is able to kill Goliath. Amen. David also, I mean, Goliath also had some brothers. It was about four or five of them boys. Amen. You see them later on in the scripture. You see them where David's mighty men fought them as well. But you know, when, when you, when you live by covenant, it's a family affair. You got me? So David didn't know when the brothers would show up, if they would show up right away, if they would show up down the road, but you got to have something for the brothers too. You understand what I'm saying? And so David had wisdom. You don't just take one rock because you betting on that one rock. David said, no, I'm going to kill him. I get the rock and that'll get him down and then I'm going to finish him off with this sword. You got me? Don't put the sword away. So you, when you mean to kill, you mean to kill. I mean to kill every devil I pray against, folks. You know, I know you can't kill him, but you can stop him. And you can take their territory and you can make them leave people alone and leave situations alone. You can make them go and leave things alone. 
You don't have to be harassed by that stupid devil. Amen. And David knew this. He said, I've had experience with God. I killed the lion and the bear. I didn't chase him off with a stick. I grabbed him by his beard and and hit him in his jaw and it killed him. Amen. I gave him a death blow. Why? God doesn't play with your enemies. He doesn't play. He means to annihilate them and, and annihilate their power. He plays for keeps. This is not just to stun the devil and chase him away. It's to get him gone for good out of your life and out of situations. And so that's that's what you do. If the devil is harassing you or your family, your children, anybody in your family, you stay on that rascal till you get him gone. You got me? And I mean for good. Put up with a little of his nonsense because he don't do a little something. He wants the whole enchilada. <laughs> wants the whole thing. Amen. My late husband, he would sometimes he would say, well, let's have some popcorn. Then he'd look at me. Now nah, you get your own. I said, why? Because I eat it faster than you do? He said, yeah. I said, good. I'm glad you're scared of my popcorn eating. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So, so you, you got, that's the enemy. He wants everything. He don't want to share nothing with you. He'll take it all. And so here we see David. He's being persecuted by Saul. Saul hates him because of what he did to, to Goliath. And this is why in 1 Samuel 18, and verse starting like six says, and it came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel. And this is a whole nation. Women came out of all those cities and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain thousands and David ten thousands. So they gave David more honor than they gave Saul. And it was the truth. David had done more than Saul ever did. And it says here, and Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands. And to me, they've only given thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? Amen. Now, this time, Saul did not know that David had been privately anointed king, but he was already threatened by him. The spirit of God had already departed from Saul, and David became his armor bearer and his therapist. David would play music. And Saul would be soothed because this evil spirit that came upon him would torment him. So David, he needed David in a sense, but also in a sense, David was a threat to him. You ever been like that? People need you, but you're a threat to them too? See, it happens when you know God. You know, I've been in churches where they want you to come up and pray, especially when somebody got a devil. You know, they want you to come up and pray so they won't look bad. But then they persecute you too. The same power that they want to use to help them out is the same power they despise. You got me? Happens. Amen. It's not nice, but it happens. So you got to let, let God decide which way you, you're going to go in those situations. Amen. 
The anointing belongs to God anyway. It is not yours. And so God decides what you do and, and how you things fare with you. And so here we have Saul is already angry at David. And it says here on verse 10, in verse 9, it says, and Saul eyed David from that day forward. In other words, he, he watched him. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied in the midst of the house and David prayed, played with his hand in it as at other times and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin for he said, I will kill David and nail him to the wall with it. And David avoided him out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and he had departed from Saul. So this is what set up this persecution that David underwent for at least 13 years. It looks like David was about 17 years old when he started running from Saul. Saul chased him out of and he was 30 years old. When Saul was killed in battle and he ascended to the throne in Israel. And so persecution can go on for a long time, folks. And then after that, it's not just against Saul. David had his son to contend with after that. So persecution never leaves. As long as you have God's imprint and his stamp on your life, it will be a part of your routine life. There's somebody's not going to like you because of what God is doing in your life, how God is with you, and how God is using you. And the devil uses that to separate us from the love of God. He wants to get us to take matters in our own hands. And this is what he was plotting to do with David. Through all of this persecution, David, instead of turning on Saul and fighting Saul and killing Saul, David chose to run from Saul. He chose to avoid confrontation with Saul. And so this is the first opportunity David gets, and he starts, he runs from Saul. In 1 Samuel 19, if you'll turn there, in verse, I think we start, verse 1. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all the servants that they should kill David. Amen? But Jonathan uh, Saul's son delighted much in David. He was David's friend. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father seeks to kill you. He says, um, now, therefore, I pray you, take heed to yourself until the morning and, and go and hide from him. So this begins a a a lifelong, as long as Saul is alive, uh, David and, and Jonathan kind of helping each other. Jonathan helping David, looking out for him when he could. Sometimes he couldn't anymore. And he had to just, you know, assume that David was taking care of him, his own self that way. Amen. You see here at a point, the tables turn. Uh, David is continuing to run from Saul. And the tables turn on him. In in 1 Samuel verse 24, you see David now has an opportunity to kill Saul. Amen. So from running, David starts to get weary. You know, I mean, it'll happen to anybody. And this is where the enemy feels he can get an advantage. He feels like this. If I can get David really scared and really provoke him, he'll forget God. 
See, all this time, David runs because he's trusting God. He knows God is his help. God has always been his help. I don't have to lift my hand against God's anointed in order to survive. God is going to decide this, and he's going to decide when I get to be king for real and what happens to Saul. Amen. So all of this, in all of this, David has been trusting Saul. I mean, trusting God. But what happens when you really get the upper hand on your enemy? When you get a really opportunity to pay them back, what are you going to do? It'll fall into your hands someday. I've had people to backbite me and, but you know, if they come to the altar for prayer, I'm going to pray for them. I mean, this is just so common. It's not even worth talking about. People get to run in their mouths and they'll talk about you and, and tell other people not to come to your meetings. And they want you to pay them when they come to preach for you. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so this is a common thing that happens to people. But are you going to take this as an opportunity to get even, to retaliate, or are you going to trust God through it? You understand what I'm saying? And And you make up your mind to trust God through it. Amen. Some people retaliate. Some people turn their backs on people and when they're in their time of need and don't help them. You know, there'll be people that will, will be out of money or, or get put out of their home and they've done evil to you and you have an opportunity to help them bail them out. What are you going to do? Amen. You know, you got to make that decision. You got to decide ahead of time what God would expect of you. And how God would expect you, what ex- God would expect you to do. Do you forgive? Do you love people? Do you help them out? Amen. Backbiters always going to need help. I got news for you. People who, who backstab and, and turn on you, they're going to always need help. Amen. So you might as well prime yourself. Well, God, if I have to be in a position to help them, I'll help them. Amen. I won't hold a grudge against them. But when somebody is trying to take your life, when it's life and death, see, it might be a different story. But God still is able to restrain you and help you even in dire circumstances. So here in 1 Samuel 24, in verse 1, it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. And Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men. So he's pursuing David still. And he got 3,000 men with him. Now, David has a small band of men, but it's not anything like this number. But as far as might is concerned, they're much higher, much higher. And he came to the sheep coats, by the way, where there was a cave and Saul went into what they call cover his feet or go to the bathroom. And David and his men remained on the sides of the cave. And the men of David said to him, behold, the day that the Lord said to you, behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as, as it will seem good to you. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him. He got convicted. If there's nothing else you obey, you obey the conviction of God in your heart. Because God will let you know when you're doing right and you're doing wrong. And David had cut off his robe. He didn't touch him. 
just his robe and God got after him. Amen. Amen. For a Hebrew, your robe was symbolic. It was symbolic of your, your, the ends of the robes of the kings and the priests, those in authority, it represented your authority. David had no right to cut off the hem of his robe, even as a warning to him, to show him, I could have killed you, but I didn't. That's, you don't threaten the king. And God, and David even said that it's not right for me to touch God's anointed. I got to let him go, period, and let God deal with this man. Amen. And so there David is. His heart smote him. He cut off Saul's skirt. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. David also arose afterwards and went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. In other words, he gave respect to Saul. And David said to Saul, Where did you, wherefore hearest thou the men's words saying, Behold, David seeks your heart? Behold, this day my eyes have seen how the Lord had delivered you today into my hand in the cave, but some told me to kill you. But my eyes spared you, and I said, I will not put forth my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yea, the skirt of your robe is in my hand. For I had cut that skirt off, and but I killed you not. Know then that there is neither evil nor transgression in my hand, and I have not sinned against you. Let you, you are hunting my soul to take it. The Lord judge between me and you, and the Lord avenged me on you, but my hand shall not be upon you. And so Saul then begins to soften, and he repents a little bit. But he's still going to chase David some more. He's still going to be after David. David then separates from Saul. Saul later on goes into battle against the Philistines, and that's where he's killed. So David did not have to lift his hand against Saul. You know, people will bring their own demise. You And don't you watch and laugh at it. Don't you make fun of people when they start getting their, their you know, payback, so to speak, their, when that starts to bear fruit in their lives. Don't enjoy it. The Bible says God will avenge avenge himself on people. But if you stop to enjoy it, God will stop the process. So he'll show them mercy just because you being stupid. You know, you don't ever laugh at anybody. You understand what I'm saying? You, you, you know, your heart should be toward good. You don't rejoice in iniquity. You rejoice in truth when right prevails. That's when you rejoice. And so David, David spares Saul. Then he goes on later in, in a man who, who's being disobedient to God provokes him and he wants to kill some. David just want to kill him somebody. Amen. And God knows it. Amen. And God knows. He comes across Nabal. Nabal refuses. God, uh, David has spared Nabal and his herdsmen and his flocks. By watching over them for him. And he asked Nabal for supplies for his men. And Nabal refuses. And David goes to kill him. But God sends a messenger instead. You know when you're on the verge of doing wrong. God will always send a word to you. 
You understand what I'm saying? He always wants to spare us because he'd rather stop you before in in before the crime is committed than to have to come and find you afterwards. Afterwards, you're in feel the guilt. You know, things can't be reversed anymore. So he'd rather restrain you ahead of time than to have to come and rescue you afterwards. He doesn't want us to get out and do wrong. And so David... David is is served by Abigail, who prophesies to him, apologizes to him, tones him down, calms him down. You know, God knows how to send the right help to us at the right time. And he will send a word to you. He'll send a messenger if he needs to. He will send anybody he can send to us to spare us trouble, to spare us grief. Amen. You know, this is why we have the church. God gives you a pastor so that you have somebody who can help you through difficult times, who can pray and agree with you so the enemy doesn't devour you. God's not wanting us to fail in anything. And so he always has a messenger, you know, to send to us so that, but, but God is determined that nothing that comes against us is strong enough to separate us from his love. If you can wake up the next day and you're glad you're saved, you're glad you're still serving God, you're glad you didn't quit the day before, you're glad you didn't quit through the night, you're glad you didn't quit when you woke up this morning, then God has spared you. He spared you with his love. And he's shown you that there's nothing powerful enough to separate you from his love. Because that's what's important is you love God and he loves you. And and that's your story. Amen. And you stick to it. Amen. All right. Why don't we stop? Father, we thank you for your word. And thank you for this opportunity to serve you, to bless you, to praise you, to magnify you, to love you with all of our heart all of our might, all of our soul, and all of our strength. We honor you today, Lord, and we bless you. We praise you because you are worthy to be praised. You're worthy, worthy, worthy to be praised. Hallelujah. If anybody needs prayer, come on up for prayer, and after that, we'll pray for people online.